My name's Jeff Bajoric, and my career in sales has been a hell of a ride. And I want to bring you along with me. If you prefer to sell things at a premium, if you never want to win a deal on price, rethink the way you sell. Welcome back to the show. My name is Jeff Bajorek. I'm your host, and I'm here to help you rethink the way you sell. Today, I am really excited to share with you my conversation with my friend, David Premer. David is the founder and chief sales scientist at Cerebral Selling. That's the name of his company. Um, kind of goes really well with this whole thinking thing, right? Um, David says that selling is a thinking person's profession, and I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we went deep in this conversation. I'm going to go back to my notes here. We talked about how David accidentally got into sales. We talked about David's cheat code for selling. We talked about the role emotion plays in the sales process and how conflicting emotions can kind of get in your way. And we talked about... I'm just going to let you get into the episode. You can hear what we talked about. It's not that long. And we had a lot of fun. You are going to take a lot away from this conversation. So enjoy it. David Premer, thank you for joining me. This is, um, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I mean, you're just such a good guy and, and uh, like great to talk to, but you're also like my therapist sometimes. So it's, uh, just send me an invoice <laughs> when it's, when it's all done, um, sell the way you buy. I mean, bestseller books so many times over bestselling books so many times over. Um, it, it takes real talent to write something like that. And, uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Oh, my you know, psychiatrist to the stars. That's what, you know, we all are, you know, in our, in our jobs. I say this, of you know, the leaders that I work with, like, you know, that's kind of what we do. And, and I would say like, as a PSA to, to everyone out there, if you're listening, if you're a sales leader, if you're a rep, this is an emotional journey. This is a very like emotionally charged job, role, industry, like you're on the treadmill all the time. Get out there and talk to someone, you know, someone who's not going to ask you, what are you closing this week or what's your forecast or what's your commit? Like have these conversations and, and you know, to the extent you can have these conversations outside of your company, mm -hmm. to kind of hear what other people are doing. And Jeff and I, we were just talking about this, this idea that like everyone's in the same spot, you know, regardless of what your quote is, what your attainment is, how long you've been in sales or you've been an entrepreneur everyone's everyone's in the same spot everyone's trying you know to achieve more to to grow and and these conversations are really important so if for our mental health for our business health so please have them and it's a pleasure to connect with you always jeff you know you, you bring something up and before i get into you know what i had planned for this this interview it's kind of an interesting thing like Selling, in order to sell effectively, you have to get your prospects emotionally involved. But in order to sell effectively, you have to stay emotionally detached. I don't know exactly how to balance that. You know what I mean? It's one of those ironies or paradoxes that um, I think we're faced with. But you need to be emotional in order to get people emotional. But you really need to detach from your results. Um, do you think that's one of the reasons why this is so difficult for people? Yeah, I mean, look, the quota is a very tough taskmaster, you know, when you have that kind of external pressure and quite honestly, a very transparent success metric, which in many ways I wished kind of being in sales for so many years at these high growth companies, I wish other parts of the organizations I was a part of had the same transparent success metric as us, because maybe then they would understand, you know, our journey. So it's a tough gig, 100%. But this idea of like, and I totally hear where you're coming from here, but 
you know, I also believe like if you're really passionate about what it is you do and how you can help someone and you actually have a lot of like emotional clarity around that, mm -hmm. then when you find someone who doesn't align, who isn't as excited, like if you're bringing your A game and you're super excited about how you can help them and they're not giving that same excitement back to you, in a way, like it's kind of discouraging a little bit, almost to the point where you should not want to sell them something because they don't believe what you believe and they're not as excited about the, you know, what you can provide. And, and sometimes as well, you know, one of the things I talk to, to teams and leaders about is I say like, what would happen in your company? Let's say you're a SaaS tech company. Like what would happen if you sold your product to anyone who is willing to pay you money for it? Cause you have lots of clients that are willing to pay you money, even though like deep down inside, you're like, this is probably not going to be the best customer, <laughs> right. customer for me. Right. Think about what would happen if your business was just full of customers like that, right? Like they would, they would, you know, gum up your entire customer success process. They would make requests of your product roadmap that would not be aligned with what your best customers are experiencing. So like they would completely derail your business. So in a way you're right. You do have to balance your enthusiasm for how you can help with, uh, you know, with, with like the desire to, uh, uh, to, to kind of, you know, drive your business in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But hopefully if you have that passion and conviction, you can kind of find it and anchor it, then you will actually be in a way turned off by customers who don't believe the same thing as you. Hmm. That's interesting. How long did it take you to learn that? <laughs> well, sometimes you learn it the hard way, you know, like <laughs> when you're, you're growing like a tech company and then you bring on the wrong uh, fit customers. And I say this not because you're trying to do something uh, nefarious. Sometimes you don't know who your target audience is just yet. And like, you know, the value you add exactly. And it takes you a little while to kind of find that we were talking about that earlier, right? You mm -hmm. kind of have to kind of put out there, you know, like the HubSpot, I think kind of pioneered this with like inbound marketing, which is like, I'm going to put out there this lightning rod and I'm going to tell people like, what is it that I believe? And if you believe what I believe, then you're going to, you know, then hopefully you get attracted to that. Um, but also like you, you could attract, you know, the wrong element and it, it takes a little bit of time. And, and I say this, you know, as we're talking about this concept of like, sell like you, like, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know if we want to get into like the, the origin story, but like, yeah. there are certain things that I only realize now with the benefit of doing this for 20 plus years that like, I probably didn't have enough data or patterns to see 10 years in or five years in, mm -hmm. but now I 20 years plus years in. I have more clarity around it. And I think it's, it's the same way in, in life, you know, yeah. people who are, who are older, they have more clarity about what they're, you know, what they're looking for. People who marry older have more clarity on the partner they're looking for versus the ones who meet them when they're 20 years old kind of a thing. So um, I think there's a certain amount of clarity that just comes with, with time and experience. Well, they say youth is wasted on the young. And yes. as I trudge into my <laughs> mid forties, I'm starting to re really feel what that's supposed to mean. Um, yes. Let's talk about your origin story. You've spent some time at some big companies. You've done some great things. You've managed teams. You've been on the front lines. You've been in executive leadership. Uh, how did you get started? Oh, by accident. That's, you know, everyone, everyone gets started <laughs> by accident, you know, and it's funny because I, I talk about this, like people are always concerned about how do I architect the career that I, you know, that I want, I think 10 years, 20 years down the road, what do I want? Like, how do I build that? Mm -hmm. And it's actually really hard. And I actually believe that, you know, through all of the, the, the good choices you make or the bad choices or the stumbles, every, you know, one of my favorite YouTubers is this young, uh, I follow a bunch of like car YouTubers for whatever, even though I'm not a supercar guy, I just like, 
you know, I love yeah. YouTube following people. And whenever he finds himself in a weird situation, and some of you who are listening might know who I'm talking about, he says, like, every single choice in my life has led me to this exact moment in time where I'm doing, like, this thing. And mm-hmm. it's usually he's doing some kind of weird thing. But it's like the choices that you make you know, land you where you are today for better, for worse. Mm -hmm. And if you like where you are today, which I do like where I am today, then like, I can't fault these kind of random choices that I made. And I started my career as a research scientist, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, not even in psychology, I was doing engineering. My background is in science and engineering, doing like computer modeling. And I ended up getting into sales at the turn of the dot-com boom, which first of all, I didn't even know sales is like a thing you can do. Right. And so I ended up joining this, like, because Honestly, like you think about sales and you have this impression, especially, you know, if you're from a traditional, you know, kind of competency, like I was science and engineering, you're like, oh, like that's no, that's not for me. Like who does sales? Like, first of all, you can't even learn it in school. Right. That's true. You you know, you can't take courses on it. I mean, you can, but it's very, very, you can't, I'm just going to say you can't. You don't think of it as a discipline. You think of it as something you just, that that, that a certain kind of person does. (laughs) Yeah. You fall yeah. back into it because like that's all you know like those who can do and those who can't teach and then sales is like and sales is the most common profession in america like one in nine people are in a sales role and if you increase that to like non-sales selling roles it's actually more right so i ended up joining this i didn't know it was a thing you can do i actually it was kind of weird i got um out of grad school i got hired by ibm uh big blue at the time which was very sexy because the dot like dot com was happening and the tech thing was happening and and IBM was branding itself as like we're like the best tech company there is like you know like there the other companies weren't as big at the time this was like 1999 and so I ended up um, signing on to join IBM as a solutions engineer. So, so shout out to all your solutions consultant listeners out there. Uh, <laughs> like basically a functional technical a member of the sales team doing custom coding and demos and all that kind of stuff. And I actually never ended up working at IBM. I ended up a few weeks before I was supposed to start um, getting connected with a little startup here in Toronto. It was like 20 people at the time and seemed like smart people. And I'm like, all right, you know, I was 25. I'm like, who cares? You know, like I didn't have a lot of, you know, connect, you know, uh, uh, responsibilities. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll go work for this startup. It sounded sexy. And then the startup ended up growing. You know, we were 700 people and we we grew to a $100 million business. We IPO'd, we, we got acquired seven years in. So it was like the whole life cycle. And I absolutely felt I managed people. So I was psychiatrist to the stars and so on. And I, and I absolutely fell in love with sales. Um, but you know, if I can kind of, you know, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, what was it that I loved about sales? I love that it was almost like an engineering problem. Like there were so many variables, like in this, you know, as a computer modeler, like this equation of like, okay, I say this and I do this and I show this and like, boom, here's the output but there's so many degrees of error and margin and all of those inputs and outputs. It's like, mm-hmm. I could do everything right in the sales cycle and the demo, but Jeff had a fight with his wife this morning and now he's talking to me and he's angry and the, the demo didn't go well. You know what I'm saying? Like there's right. all of these variables. So I actually fell in love with the complexity of sales, but also one of the things, and this is again, with the benefit of hindsight, I have always been like a conviction seller, if I can say that, if I get excited about something and I really understand something and I get passionate about it, you can tell, you know, and I remember mm-hmm. Simon Sinek, he would often, he would often say like, people ask him like, how are you such a good speaker? And he, he jokes and he says like, I cheat. I, I, <laughs> uh, I only, uh, you know, speak about things. I think he says the only, I only do uh, speak about things that I am passionate about and that I understand really well. Yeah. 
And I think if you do that, then your natural enthusiasm comes out. And whether I was presenting it like a science, you know, science conference about, you know, environmental protection or talking about my product or service, about how it can transform the way you do enterprise workforce management, if I understood it and I had belief and conviction that it could help, then this kind of natural and maybe and I and sometimes this is like my Wolverine superpower because you know, mm-hmm. everyone has a superpower and, every, and it can be different. You can be yeah. successful in sales for all sorts of different reasons. Totally agree. And for me, it's always been like this natural enthusiasm I have. If I understand and I love and I'm passionate about something, then people can tell. And whatever it is you're selling, and that's why it's very difficult to sell something that you actually don't believe in. Like if mm-hmm. I asked you to sell something you don't believe in, or if I said, if you're listening out there and I would say like, what's something that you are so passionate about? It could be skiing, it could be golf, it could be a cause, it could be a type of food, whatever it is. <clears throat> and then I said, okay, great. I want you to pick something you're not passionate about. I often use knitting and no offense if people out there are interested <laughs> in knitting, but I say like, I don't know a lot about knitting and I, you know, it's like whatever sweaters and scarves and stuff. And I would say, Jeff, I want you to talk about why you're so passionate about knitting and fake it. Right. I could tell instantly that you don't love it in the, in the same way. I noticed this in my kids. So I have three daughters Two are in high school, they're teenagers, one is is a little bit younger. And when they come to me and they're about to hit me up for something that they think I'm gonna say no to, right? (laughs) Like my daughter is on the the volleyball team in her school. She's like, oh, she realized she has an early morning practice and she needs a lift. And so she comes into my office like late the night before and she's like, dad. And I'm like, I'm immediately defensive just by the way Mm -hmm. you're approaching me, right? And so back to like the origin story, I realize now with the benefit of hindsight that like, that was my superpower. I always got like excited. And that's why, I, you know, for better, for like what, whatever success I've had in sales, a lot of it is due to that desire to kind of understand and pick apart the world with sales like an engineering problem. Mm-hmm. And then also manifest the authentic enthusiasm and conviction that is very contagious to customers. So what does it mean to sell like you? Well, in short, it means more pipeline. It means bigger deals that close faster and more often. It means more customer loyalty, so there's less churn. And it means a culture on your team where winning is expected and everyone's having fun. Now, if this sounds like something your team needs, go to jeffbajorek.com forward slash services and find out how I use this approach to help teams like yours create world-class results. Now, back to the show. So much of selling, particularly at the complex enterprise level, is reduction of variables. And in order to reduce the variables, you have to identify the variables. And then you have to keep uh, track of the variables, which is why these sales engagement platforms and CRM tools and everything are more and more complex. And you look at it when you get started and you're like, oh, my God, why is this so complicated? You're like, do you realize what you're trying to do? Do you realize all the things that could go wrong? Do you realize all the things that need to go right? And, you know, maybe it's a, a, a particular uh, a particular type of sick individual <laughs> that needs to dig into that. But I love what you're saying about enthusiasm. Selling is a transfer of enthusiasm. And, you know, more importantly or more significantly, what I've noticed recently through this concept of alignment between, you know, who you, what, what, what you sell, who you sell to, how you do it, why you do it. Um, discipline is a lot easier when you're aligned, you know, um, I, two friends of mine, 
I'll, I'll pick these up later, but Jeb Blunt and Anthony and Arena, I just dropped those names right behind me. I'll, I'll get them. Um, they both wrote two best-selling books in a year. Like, how do you do that? That's a career accomplishment mm -hmm. for somebody, but these guys are doing it regularly and sometimes multiple times in a year. And it's like, you know, when you're really in alignment with your purpose, when you just feel like I was put here to get this information out to people who need it, and when you have the life experience and the wherewithal intellectually to be able to put those words down on paper before, I mean, they both have gifts for that too. That alignment, things get really easy. And it's not that hard to be disciplined because it's just clear that this is your purpose. Um, when you're meant to connect people with one another, when you're meant to, you know, really help solve a particular problem, not everybody is a best-selling author. Not everybody should be. Not everybody should strive to be. But I'll tell you what, if you really don't care to write, if you really don't care to teach, if you really don't care to, to, to solve those problems, if you, really, if you fill in the blank there, it's going to be really, really hard to do it. My kids... Uh, my daughter's actually really good with this, and she just takes it in stride. My son really doesn't like math. He's good at it. He's a really smart kid. He just doesn't quite see the point of it just yet. So it's really difficult for him to get fired up to do his homework. Mm -hmm. Like, You know what I mean? And so there are things that you're just naturally aligned with. There are things that you find alignment with. But when that alignment is there, oh, my gosh, the, the hard work gets a lot easier. 100%. And you actually, I see this a lot with uh, like company founders. So sometimes there's there's kind of kind of two models of company founders. There's the founder who experienced a problem and said, you know what, I'm going to like make a, pro a product that solves this problem. Because like for years, I was an accountant and I struggled with this. And so I developed this accounting software and I have, you know, all this domain knowledge and a passion for the problem and solving it. And, and then there are founders who um, say, you know, what would be a good idea. Here's what the world needs. And they they kind of see an opportunity in something that they actually don't have a lot of experience with or even passionate about. Like, you know what? There's a lot of problem on construction sites these days where people, you know, there's a lot of accidents that happen and da da da, da. Like, I'm not in construction, nor have I ever worked in construction. I don't know construction people, but I think this is a problem. I'm going to go solve it. And it's very, and I've spoken to these two groups of founders, and it's very clear there's a very clear difference. Like the founder that experienced the problem, who can kind of, you know, navigate that converse, that complex conversation with customers who can convey that enthusiasm. It's a totally different experience and, and level of success than those who are just like, oh, here's a good, and I'm not saying you can't have success identifying, like here's a problem that people are experiencing, like I'm gonna go solve it. But like, I don't find that those kinds of founders have the same level of success because they're not emotionally bought into the, right. the, the problem. <clears throat> Right. And it's not just about relatability. It's, well, I just can't, I don't relate to them. That's not where I come from. That's not what I do. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, you're just not emotionally attached. That's okay. You don't have, an, you know, just because, look, and I say this all the time, you and I could make way more money than we do right now selling something else. There's all kinds of stuff out there that we could sell that, that we could make more money than we do right now. But we choose not to because of these non-monetary consequences, if you will, you know, mm -hmm. it's like when you sell something that is not in alignment with your integrity, what are you selling your integrity for? You know, I, I, I like the, the concept of, okay, how much did you sell it for? And why did you discount so much? Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, it's not just about the money for the people who 
find themselves in uh, the right place, they do it for all of these um, just non-monetary reasons. And selling is so much about dollars and cents, we forget that most sales are made that don't involve a transfer of uh, or an exchange of currency whatsoever. And, you know, there are just so many other factors than that. And if you're just selling for the top dollar, and there are a few people who can get away with that because their alignment is 100% around the money. Okay, cool, go. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't like that. And that's where you have to really avoid the urge, and I'm guilty of it, but you have to really avoid the urge to try to keep up with the Joneses. Because what might make you most fulfilled in life might only earn you $50,000 a year, but you're going to live the happiest life that you could possibly live. Meanwhile, there's some multimillionaire who is a miserable, just mess. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, okay. Um, is that really what you want? You got all the money in the world, but you don't have any friends and, uh, you're depressed all the time because you're still looking for that thing. So it's, it's just, uh, it's interesting how much that alignment really leads to your success. And I see David, people younger than us, getting that mm -hmm. in a way that people older than us, not so much, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that's, I, th I think the, the, the future of selling is in really, really good hands. Um, what, because what does it mean to you to sell like you? And when did you make the decision that you were going to have to? Or that, or when did you make the decision to trust yourself instead of taking the playbooks that were handed to you? You know, when did, when did you decide to uh, be inspired by those playbooks rather than trying to use them verbatim? Yeah, you know, I think you know, as you you kind of you start out in sales, and I, I talk about this analogy in my book. I call it the Cobra Kai paradox. If people understand the, the Cobra Kai reference, um, which is this idea that we learn from a sensei. And we often don't question the sensei that we learn from, you know, like if you're like, oh, you're a successful salesperson and sales leader, like, all right, like I'm going to learn from you. And sometimes we choose the wrong sensei or we just, you know, not the wrong in terms of they're a bad person, but they just have habits and tactics that uh, are either old, outdated, don't work anymore. They're not unethical. They're not categorically right. ineffective. Uh, but they just don't work as you know in the kind of the same way they used to and so i found that as i was kind of going through my sales career i, I worked with some really great people and great leaders love you know lovely people but over the course of time the way people buy actually changes in a way it doesn't change psychologically but it changes because there's so many different products out there on the market like way more products than there ever were we live in the age of distraction social media so if you think about never mind what's happened in the last 10, 15 years, like think about what's happened in the last two, three years. People are working remotely. There's so many more distractions. The number of products keep increasing. And so like over the course of time, the things that your sensei taught you don't work as right. well anymore. And for me, it kind of came to head. So, so when I was working at Salesforce, so I helped start a company in 2008 that was acquired by Salesforce in 2012. I came over with the ship with sales to Salesforce and I love Salesforce. And Salesforce is amazing because it's like this big, selling machine, very sales centric culture, very monthly cadence. And there's a lot of amazing senseis there, but there's also a lot of history of like, here's what we did last year and so on. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a Salesforce customer, as I was a few times now being on the other side, um, I had a lot of empathy for what it was like to be a Salesforce customer and seeing some of the plays that we were running again, not categorically ineffective, not unethical, but as a leader at Salesforce, I was like ground zero for people trying to prospect into me. 
And so I would look at these tactics that people would use. They would call me, they would, you know, reach out on LinkedIn and I would just, I wasn't having any of it. Like I wasn't answering the phone. I wasn't responding to LinkedIn messages because I realized that, you know, I don't like talking to salespeople and like, I don't care for these tactics that they're using, even though like I'm a career salesperson and leader. So, you know, this is kind of when it kind of came to me and I, and I kind of took a step back and I said, okay, well, how can we do this profession? Uh, in a way that is 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 not only ethical and and high conviction, but but effective. And so I kind of went back to my science and engineering roots and really got curious about the pathways and mechanisms by which human beings make purchasing decisions. Right, and that's kind of what this ethos of sell the way you buy, which is titled my book, where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And I realized these tactics that people were using weren't working on me, but those were the same tactics that I was telling my team in, you know, in large part to use because I was kind of being pulled along by this kind of Cobra Kai mentality. But when I took a step back and I said, like, what was it over the course of my career that allowed me to be successful? The, the kind of the human element, the authentic conviction, uh, you know, like being really tactical about like which prospects I went after and, and how I described what I did. And it was also at this time that uh, as I got more senior in my career, the less I actually knew about the products we were selling, like at a detailed level, I didn't have time to figure out, okay, like it has this feature and this feature. And like, I wasn't, so, and even as someone who started their career as an SC doing demo after demo after demo and yeah. custom coding and being into the product, I didn't know the products as well anymore. And yet I was still really good at selling them because I wasn't encumbered by the details of what the product was. I was able to convey the enthusiasm, the so what, uh, you know, the, I was able to speak more in the language of the problems that the customers were experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of when you say, like, what does it mean to sell like you? That was when I realized that, no, 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 like there is a way that we can be super effective and passionate about what it is that we do in, and convert customers and sell stuff if we just take a step back. Let's not fall in love with the stuff that we've been doing for the last five, 10 years and take a look at how human beings actually make purchasing decisions at like a scientific level and sell to them like that. And that's kind of where the sell like you came from. How many times did you try to talk yourself out of that? Um, I wouldn't say talk yourself out uh, because I knew that it worked because history has shown me that when I, you know, when I, when I said it like this, the customer got it. When I conveyed the enthusiasm, the customer got it. But what happens is you have like the, the institution, I'm not saying Salesforce, but I'm saying the sales institution. Yes. It historically says, well, you know, you got to make 50 calls a day and you got to do this and you got to do that. And then, and you got to ask the customer, like, is there any reason why you wouldn't uh, sign the contract this month? And what's it going to take? And like, What's your budget? And like you have the sales institution saying, well, you should do these things because that's what in sales, like this is what you have to do. And so you do have the little bit of the struggle and saying, okay, I, if I want to be successful, I actually have to say no to some of these things. And saying no is really tough when the majority of people around you are actually really good people, but have been indoctrinated by this culture of what it means to be in sales. And that's why when you tell someone you're in sales, they don't like you. Cause like you're right. the enemy because they conjure up these images of like the sleazy used car salesperson uh, trying to get people to buy things they don't need and having a lot of information about a product or service that they're not sharing with the customer for fear that they might not buy. Um, and that takes, I guess a little, I don't want to say like courage, maybe courage isn't the right word, but it takes a little bit of like courage to step up and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it like this instead. Well, it does take courage. And that's the, 
That's the issue. Um, people think it shouldn't. People think, well, and, and the culture, Seth Godin talks about this, is people like us do things like this. And it's very difficult to break. And that sticking in a culture that doesn't feel right is what, you know, rips apart or, or, or eats away rather at your integrity. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the thing that, and so again, what are you selling that for? That's, um, that's really cool. Like, even though, you know, it works, even though you feel in your gut, like it'll work, it's sometimes difficult. It's, you know, to challenge it. And you had the the benefit of saying, you know what, I, you're, you're, um, uh, it's a retroactive study, right? You're looking back and you're like, oh, you know, when I did this, it worked really well. When I did this, it worked really well. It takes um, a really mindful seller to be able to just have the presence to look back and see what's actually working and where it diverts from that mm-hmm. culture. Um, well, that's that's why, like Dan Pink says in his book, he's, and this was in To Sell as Human, which is now, you know, a number of years old, but he says, you know, uh, when... You know, he gets kind of complicated about it, but he's like, look, when when I'm going to paraphrase, when there's all of these products out there, when there's all of this information and customers are more educated and more skeptical and more peer driven than ever before, sales is now is is different. It is now a thinking person's profession, just like designing a house or operating on a patient. You know, if you just do what you're told and and kind of toe the line and don't approach it in a mindful way like you will not be successful in the modern sales world david we're up against the clock where can people find you yeah so uh so if you want to check out my book my book is called sell the way you buy and you Mm -hmm. can get it you know wherever you buy books on amazon uh my website is called cerebral selling uh, dot com and i'm cerebral selling on youtube on instagram uh, I give away tons of content for free. I have a free tons. Facebook group. Tons. <laughs> but maybe too much. Maybe, you know, I got to stop. <laughs> I have a free Facebook group called the Sales Lab, where I do a live trainings every week on different topics. Um, so yeah, I try to be pretty findable. And you can hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to. Awesome. Awesome. David, thanks for being here. Um, I'll have all those links in the show notes. So if you're driving right now, don't try to scribble all that stuff down. Just take a beat. It'll be okay. Follow the link in your podcast player, uh, wherever that is. And uh, David, always so great to talk to you. Thanks a bunch. My pleasure, Jeff. Always great to be here. Thanks for having me. So how good was that? David is so thoughtful and I love his approach. He's just so pragmatic and intelligent and he comes across in a very unassuming, uh, very uh, um, just approachable way. I mean, he's just a great human being. Um, I love talking to him and that little reference about being psychiatrist to the stars, like we do that for each other sometimes. And I'm just, um, uh, I feel very fortunate to call David a friend. Um, If you want to learn more about him, buy his book, Sell the Way You Buy. It is a consistent bestseller for a reason. There's no fly-by-night, let-me-grab-a-screenshot kind of bestseller, fake bestseller thing going on there. This book continues to sell because it's so good. And check out that Facebook group if you're into Facebook. Um, He's providing a ton of value there, and I know that he can help if you're willing to give him some attention. So um, I appreciate you giving me some attention over this last half hour or so. Coming back to you very soon with another episode. Thanks for being here. Tell a friend if you really like it, and I'll talk to you soon. Rethink the Way You Sell is a Pot About It production. It's mixed and edited by Doug Branson, with music by Blue Dot Sessions and Doug Branson. 
This podcast is masterminded by Jeff Bajorek.